1947, uh, Robert Pierce worked for a religious nonprofit organization called Youth for Christ. Probably a lot of us are familiar with that organization. Uh, its mission was to evangelize the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this young evangelist started toward China with only enough money in his pocket uh, to buy a ticket to Honolulu. And so on the trip, he met a, a teacher by the name of Tina uh, Hokador, and she introduced him to a, an abandoned child named White Jade. And unable to care for the child herself, she asked Pierce, uh, what can you do to help me out? And so Pierce gave the woman his last $5, and he agreed to send the same amount, $5, each month to help that woman uh, with the child, began this monthly gift. Pierce eventually made it to China, where thousands made public commitments as followers of Jesus Christ during the four months that he was there. And while Pierce was there, he saw widespread hunger, and he felt intense compassion for these people. In fact, Pierce later wrote in the front of his Bible, in the flyleaf of his Bible, he wrote these words, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Pierce began to drag a camera across Asia, and China soon closed, but Pierce showed these pictures to the churches in America. And he asked for money to help children, and he showed their faces, and he begged Christians to just adopt one and pay $5 a month. And in 1950, he incorporated a ministry called World Vision. Many of you are probably familiar with this ministry. Our, our mission kids uh, folks uh, adopt a child, uh, and they pay an amount of money each month to adopt that child. To this day, they still do that. In fact, uh, the mission kids, they, they collect their little offering uh, every Sunday, and it goes to their child, Itza. And so when they bring in their money, uh, they have what's called the Itza Pizza uh, on, on the little graphic. And so they bring in their monies and they buy toppings that go on the pizza, and it helps support Itza through World Vision. Uh, work began to take its toll on Robert, traveling around the world. And as he kind of got up into his senior years, he was told he needed to retire from World Vision. And so he did what everybody does at an elderly age. He started another ministry. <laughs> this ministry is called Samaritan's Purse. Started with the Billy Graham crusade, working with Franklin Graham. And he started this ministry. And today we have things like Operation Christmas Child, where we collect the shoe boxes. One observer noted that Pierce, quote, prayed more earnestly and importunely than anyone else I have ever known. It was though prayer burned within him. And then these words, Bob Pierce functioned from a broken heart. Functioned from a broken heart. 
We're in this series on Jeremiah, and Jeremiah, like Bob Pierce, served with a broken heart. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because his heart broke over the plight and condition of his people, and his heart ached. And as challenging as Bob Pierce's work was to raise money to support needy children, Jeremiah's ministry was even more difficult. Because he was sent to deliver a difficult message. A message that required people to change. To repent. To alter their lives. And then, as now, most people don't respond well to messages that require behavioral change. I've been in ministry for almost 30 years. I have yet to have a person when I've had to ask them to change something in their life, go, Pastor James, I really appreciate that word of admonition from you. Rarely does that happen. Typical response is, who are you to tell me what to do? Yet Jeremiah proclaimed this message, and he did it with a broken heart. Jeremiah's mourning actually prefigured Jesus Jesus wept over people's sin. In fact, Matthew 9.36, Jesus' heart broke because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, we're told. The ministry of Jesus is a ministry of tears. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews gives this summary. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus' ministry broke his heart. So let me ask you this morning, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? The people in Jeremiah's day had turned away from God and they refused to repent. And they had no desire to return to God. And they had every opportunity to do it. And God, through the words of Jeremiah, asked in Jeremiah 8, verse 5, Why then have these people turned away? Why does Jerusalem always turn away? They cling to deceit and they refuse to return. You know, instead the people deliberately charged ahead in their sinful practices, having absolutely no idea of the dangers involved. And so Jeremiah uses all the pictorial means of a prophet to communicate God's great love and will for his people to just return to him. And the word Pastor Darrell used is the word repentance. It means to turn back. So Jeremiah would use all these pictures. Jeremiah reminded that when people fall, you can get back up again. If you take the wrong road, you can turn around and go back on the right road. And just as birds know when it's time to migrate, people can migrate and return to God. He would use these pictures over and over and over again. He would remind them God doesn't want us to just acknowledge our sin. He wants us to turn away from our sin. You know, it's very common in our day to hear people say, we just got to own our stuff. Just got to own our stuff. We love now to acknowledge our sin. We wear it with pride. Own our stuff. 
And then we'll also say, now just embrace it. That's our culture. Own it, embrace it. Jesus says, acknowledge, turn away from it. Recently, I had a teacher explain to me there's a difference between Western and Eastern mindsets when it comes to sin. A Western thinker, a Greek thinker, is that sin is wrong belief or incorrect thinking. And it emphasizes what a person knows. So if someone does something wrong, so many times we just say they're an error. They've made an error. But an Easterner, sin is wrong behavior. And it emphasizes what a person does. I had a teacher named Moshe in Jerusalem tell me, he says, for you Western Christians, sin is something in you and you got to get rid of it. But for us, sin is something I do. So how do I get rid of sin? I stop doing it. Remember what Jesus said when he offered forgiveness one day? I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Stop it. So often, though, we know what we should do. We just don't do it. And we are like little children, caught misbehaving. Uh, a couple weeks ago, during one of my confirmation classes, I had little snacks that I was giving out to students. And I had some leftover snacks that kind of laid on the table in front of me. And at the end of the class, one of the students really wanted more of the snack. But uh, I didn't have enough to give everybody else another one, so I said, no, not enough for everybody, so sorry. So then we closed the class by praying. And during my prayer, I could see his little hand sneak over to try to grab the snacks. And so I stopped the prayer, and I said, uh, we're praying right now. And he said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so I started praying again. And his little hand started going back over toward the snacks. And I said, I stopped and I said, seriously? We're praying now. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. You know, many times us adults, we do the exact same thing, don't we? How often do we find ourselves just telling God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And yet we keep on doing what we shouldn't do. To repent, to turn from sin, is to cease from doing it. Repentance is a gift of grace. And a repentant person is willing to leave the destructive path they're doing. As the old Welsh poem goes, as a slave is willing to leave his galley, as a prisoner his dungeon, a thief his wares, or a beggar his rags, repentance sets us free. The heartbreaking truth is, is that for many of us, we ignore that gift of grace. We reject the freedom that can be found in repentance and the love of God. You know, I have been a Christian long enough, and I'm spiritually mature enough to know that I only have two problems. Some of you have lots of them, but I only have two. And one of them is, I do things I don't want to do. And the other one is, I don't do things that I do want to do. Anybody here ever have that problem? Okay. Someone says, don't eat that, then I eat it. Don't drink that, then we drink it. 
Don't smoke that. Then you smoke it. Don't look at that sight. Don't procrastinate. Don't brag. Don't envy. Don't slander. Don't gossip. Don't yell at the kids. Don't say you look just like your mother. And then those words come out of our mouths. Paul said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. This is the human condition. We want to do what is good, but we are prepared to do what is wrong if we feel like we have to do it to get what we want. Jeremiah's simple message here, we do this because we love our sin more. Why do we do it? Because we love it. Notice what he says in the three passages that were read for us by the worship team moments ago. Jeremiah 5.31, the prophets prophesy lies and the priests rule about their own, own authority and my people love it this way. It's messed up, but we love it. Notice again, Jeremiah 8.2, and it talks about worshiping other gods that give you nothing. They will be exposed to the sun and the moon and all the stars of the heavens which they have loved. Notice again in Jeremiah 14, verse 10, the very first part. This is what the Lord says about this people. They greatly love to wonder. The truth about many of us is that we live a life of unrepentance because we love our sin more. Why do I do what I don't want to do and not do what I want to do? It's because I have misplaced love. Even though sin may cost us everything and leave us with nothing, we love it. We have misplaced love. And instead of loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, we love other things. And this breaks the heart of God. For Jeremiah, his heart is broken as well. Jeremiah was like a parent watching a wayward child destroying their life, going through all the wrong choices. You know, as, as a father, I've got two sons, and I hurt when they hurt. I lose sleep when they are in trouble. I feel pain when they are in pain. And every parent knows these kinds of emotions. And Jeremiah saw the people of Judah as his very own children, and he saw them venturing down the slippery slope of self-destruction. Jeremiah's pain, his wounded heart, broke. And this is very reminiscent of the very pain Jesus himself felt at Gethsemane. Jesus, too, saw the world, the people whom he created, and whom he loved, his children. And when the shock and the burden of the sins of the people took hold of him, we're told sweat turned to blood. We get our word excruciating from the events at Calvary. The word excruciating is a Roman word that means out or from the cross. The pain, the hurt, the emotions ran so deep, Jesus' heart broke 
excruciatingly. Because the people he loved were running headlong into destruction. Jeremiah was saying that a remedy existed for the people's sins. That is simply to repent. Turn back. Return to your first love. Come back to the one who made you, who loves you with an everlasting love, who's absolutely crazy about you. But they refused. They were too stubborn. Their love for other things was too strong. Their wills too set on their own. You know, in 2009, a 30-year-old man climbed over the retaining walls at Niagara Falls, and he jumped into the rapids of Horseshoe Falls. Quickly, the rushing currents carried him toward the 173-foot drop. Even if he wanted to, there could be no turning back. And the 675,000 gallons of water that plunge over the falls every second dragged him right over. Incredibly, the man resurfaced at the bottom of the fierce currents, and he was unconscious and, and came to and swimming with a gash on his forehead, and the force of the falls had torn off his clothes, and very few had ever survived such a plunge. Clinging to a piece of driftwood, he swam 30 feet from shore. Niagara Police Sergeant Chris Gallagher yelled for him to swim toward the shore, and the man refused. Letting go of the driftwood, he headed in the opposite direction, swimming between ice chunks. A helicopter was called, flew over the man, and extended a pole. He wouldn't grab it. He wrestled a rescue sling from his arms, swam away. Despite the treacherous conditions of ice, high winds, and waves, the helicopter made another attempt. And the pilot angled the chopper blades to create a wave that would push the man towards the shore. Rescuers raged against the clock, and after 30 minutes in the icy waters, the man weakened, but still remained completely uncooperative. Firefighter Ted Brunning jumped into the river, had to pull the man forcefully 200 feet to shore. He was rescued completely against his will. Jesus sees more than just one person on a dangerous course. He sees people from every walk of life heading toward the same end because the path of sin does not have a good ending. And despite the well-announced warning of hell ahead, people swim on in the currents of their sins, completely unrepentant. And as bizarre as it seems, some perishing people resist rescue. Not everyone wants to be saved from peril. Not everyone wants to abandon the course they are on. Not everyone wants to come to Jesus. And that breaks the heart of God. It should break our hearts when we see people who are unrepentant, people who are self-destructing, people who refuse the cure. It should break our hearts. 
And God uses people with broken hearts. So will you let your heart be broken by the things that broke the heart of God? How often does your heart break for lost friends and the lost of our world? The billions of people in the world, it is estimated that over 30 million worldwide will die without Christ each year. 30 million every year. Of the over 300 million people in the United States, it is estimated that 31% of the people have never been to a church or heard of Jesus. Jesus' heart broke over the harvest when he said, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his fields. He saw the people, and he saw the need, and his heart broke. The old preacher Vance Havner used to say, the tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. We live in desperate times, but are we desperate people? We live in a lost and broken world desperate for the good news of Jesus Christ. And Mission Covenant Church, our mission, the reason we exist is to connect people with Jesus Christ. It's what we're here for. It's what we do. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we have much work to do. We have a lot of work to do. So let your heart be broken by the things that break God's heart. Because God can use that. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you've created each and every one of us. And that you are crazy in love for us. So much so that when you see us turn away, when you see us love other things, it literally, literally wrenches your heart. God, I pray that you will help us to see that the things that we give our love to are just useless things, little things, things that come to, to no good end, that we are forsaking a much greater love. God, help us to not just see our shortfallings, but to turn from it. Help us to seek your path and your righteousness, to live a Jesus kind of life. Help us to repent. God, thank you for your grace and your love that is available to all those who do to receive us back, to continue to love us. God, help us to see our, our need to share that love of God with those around us. Help us to see 
people that we come in contact every day, the people in our families, our neighbors, our community, our region, our world who need Christ. God, help us not to become focused on what we want. Help us become focused on what you want and what you want as a people who will go and tell. The harvest is great. God, send us. Use us to proclaim Jesus to the world. Help us as we seek to do that. Give us wisdom as we we plan and, and, and do those things. Give us the words to speak. Give us the grace and love in which to do it in. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.